0: by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament, then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for
1: you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church
0: we long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus
1: Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Oline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity and what we do with proclaiming the one as we take a look at the upcoming readings for the Sunday to help you be familiar with God's word to help you prepare for the divine service and we pray that our time together is a great blessing devotional time of course but also to help prepare for Sunday and Wednesday worship pastor Moline welcome once again
1: thank you good to be here
0: yes well I guess uh, where else would you want to be (laughs) but talking about God's Word and uh, in its truth and purity. The introit for the 16th Sunday after Trinity, selected verses from Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Pastor, you want to share that introit with us today, please? Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. For you, O Lord, are good
1: and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol.
0: Okay, we have a lot of stuff going on here, and uh, this is one of those Sundays where the introit does a marvelous job of preparing us for our Sunday morning worship. The situation is such for the psalmist, and uh, this is uh, this is a psalm of David, Psalm eighty-six. The situation is such that the psalmist is in distress. The psalmist is in despair. Um, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. A little bit later, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy in the day of trouble. I call upon you. Okay, Pastor, what are we talking about here with regard to being poor and needy and in the day of trouble, and I'm crying all day long? What's what's up?
1: Well, uh, some sort of effect of sin is definitely dealing, this person is dealing with, uh, you know, uh, poor and needy are results of sin. Uh, trouble is a result of sin. Difficulty is a result of sin. Suffering is a result of sin. Uh, and so all these things that are happening have one root cause, and that is sin. And that's why uh, this uh, particular man is crying out to God and asking God to hear and to answer him because of his sinful life and the effects of that uh, sin upon his life.
0: There are many times in our lives when, uh, when we cry out to God. There are many times in our lives when uh, the grief and the heartache is too much to bear and we can't do it ourselves. We feel poor and needy, uh, maybe because of our own sin, maybe because of the consequences of other people's sin against us. Pastor, you know where our readings are going here today. When that last line, uh, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, uh, what is the ultimate enemy of every person alive and uh, the ultimate enemy of every Christian.
1: Well, uh, the, the last enemy, maybe we should say it that yeah, way. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Well well said. The the last enemy of the Christian is death, uh, and that's the one that is waiting for us all, uh, hopefully in uh, a number of decades and not uh, tomorrow, but you never know. Death comes to every single person in the world. Death is something that we all are getting ever closer to. It's uh, just a few steps away from us in the future. And so you see... Uh, this great promise that we have, God's steadfast love delivers us from death or Sheol or the grave. Uh, You know, Sheol, that word in Hebrew is a place of darkness where all the dead go, both the righteous and the unrighteous, regardless of moral choices made in life. So it's that idea that one day your life in this world is coming to an end. And uh, yet we have the promise God delivers our soul from that end. God grants us not death but life and he does that in the personal work of his son jesus christ
0: can we say pastor that uh, all of the problems that we have in this world the effects of sin the uh, trials the temptations the sicknesses the illnesses all of these things are reminders of that last enemy which is death
1: yeah they definitely are um every single challenge and difficulty and problem that we have is really uh, getting us closer and closer to that last great enemy of death Um, so for example a person who's sick and in the hospital they know that death is coming Uh, they might even get better from their illness but uh, it's there in the future Uh, cancer uh, those words you know the dread of death that those words bring upon the person who hears them Uh, Alzheimer's uh, Parkinson's uh, all sorts of difficulties and challenges and sufferings that we know we have to face in this world that have that ultimate end of death, even uh, poverty, you know, are you going to have enough money to buy food for you or your family, or put clothes on your body during the winter? If you don't, what's the result? Um, all these things are ways that death continues to uh, eat at us. And, and the fact of the matter is, you know, you look at our bodies, uh, we're every day dying a little bit more, getting a little bit older, getting a little closer to death. That's why I have the gray hairs and the wrinkles on my face. Uh, That's why, um, you know, people's bodies wear out when they get to be uh, older in their lives. You know, they can't run a mile anymore. They can't uh, carry all the the large weights they used to up and down the stairs. Uh, Even navigating stairs can be a difficulty. All this is telling us and teaching us that our body is beginning the dying process and that that's coming ahead.
0: Here in Psalm 86, we have uh, no sugar coating with regard to sin and the effects of sin in our lives. We have no sugar coating with regard to uh, you know, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, or uh, it's not so bad, uh, toughen it out, that kind of a thing. Uh, this is no moral pep talk. We have a real solution for real problems that God has provided for us. And we sum that up in the uh, little phrase that is repeated twice in our introit, uh, the steadfast love of God. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And then a little bit later, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. How is the answer to everything that we've been talking about, Pastor? How is the answer to all of these issues given or surmised in the word, the steadfast love of the Lord?
1: Well, uh to know that, we have to go to uh, scripture in other places where we actually see what the definition of love is according uh, to the Bible itself. And so we go to 2 John uh, chapter 1, um, where we have... Uh, this is love. We walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. And he goes on and he talks about that all this leads to Jesus Christ. We also have from John uh, elsewhere in his epistles, uh, another place where he talks about love. And he says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son, Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice. And so we have these things where uh, God earns forgiveness for us. God uh, points us to jesus christ who has kept all the commandments in our place god uh, makes sure that in christ and in christ alone we have forgiveness completely and totally and uh, and the, the epistles of john he also says don't love this world or the things of the world uh, so the love of god is the only thing that will bring us through this world out of this world and into the world to come and this is kind of reflective of uh psalm number 23 uh where god says uh, uh Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We're not stuck in God's love in the valley of the shadow of death. We are passing through it and into eternal life on the other side, and that's the good news.
0: How How can we follow this psalm? Because before things are delivered, before I am taken out of my anguish, I'm already giving thanks to the Lord. Doesn't this seem like we're jumping the gun? I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Uh, I haven't been delivered yet. Uh, my, my, uh, my pain and my suffering is still ongoing. How can I give thanks and glorify God's name with my whole heart, even in the midst of my trial and tribulation?
1: Well, this is the Christian life to give thanks to God in the midst of suffering. Uh, The promise is a now-not-yet promise. God promises to take us out of this veil of sorrow and shame and and suffering, uh, and we will fully realize that one day, but that realization will not come uh, until we either leave this world through death or uh, until Christ returns and brings this world to its end. But the promise is sure and certain, and God, by definition, you could say, uh, does not break his promises, and that's how we can give thanks even in the midst of suffering.
0: Isn't it amazing that in a world that promises only death, in a world that uh, offers all of these uh, fake and uh, seemingly empty solutions to the problem of, of pain and suffering and aging and all these kind of things, that all we have to look forward to, according to the world's wisdom, is death and so you better live it up while you can eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you die giving the impression that when you die that's it God's word gives us hope and I'm not talking about some pie in the sky kind of hope but God word gives us hope that there is more to life than life We have life that has been created by God. We have life that has been redeemed by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And we have the promise of the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting in heaven with him. And so now we can face any trial, any tribulation, even death itself with confidence. Because Jesus lives, we too live. Thanks be to God. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. hallelujah new life wherever God and his word are that uh, sets the stage very very well for where we're heading in our proclaiming the one program today again welcome pastor poppy pastor Moline we're looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity in our first segment we looked at the introit selected verses from Psalm 86 God is victorious over every enemy, including the last, some would say the greatest enemy, death itself. And the answer to our problems, the answer to death, is the steadfast love of God. We're going to see this play out very, very well in our gospel reading for Trinity 16, Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17. We're going to get a little bit, Pastor, a little bit of Easter in October. And that's not all bad, is
1: it? No, no, it's a good thing.
0: Very good thing. You want to share those words? Luke seven eleven to 17. Soon afterward,
1: Jesus went into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died and was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the prayers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and the whole surrounding company, country. Whew.
0: All right. Yeah, well, it uh, it did surround everywhere, and it's still surrounding the whole world as we read these words as well. We have a great miracle. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a uh, a miracle of healing, healing. Uh, the blind, the deaf, the lame—it's uh, another thing to have a miracle of nature, uh, you know, calming the storm or walking on water. You know, people, people try to come up with all kinds of uh, natural reasons or natural excuses for the way things happen, um, but death is different. When somebody's dead, they're dead, and. For someone to make the claim that they have power over death, this is, this is rising a miracle up to a whole new level. That's why these miracles of resurrection are like the mother of all miracles. You don't think it can get any better until you realize that it can get better. And that all of these are pointing forward to Easter. But we get ahead of ourselves. Pastor, what do we know about a a town called Nain? Well, it's a small
1: town uh, in the region of Galilee. And uh, it's really, there's not much that we actually know about it beyond this. It still exists. Today it's a Muslim community. um, And it's at the foot of a a mountain. um, And uh, You can see it from right outside of Nazareth. There's a hill. Uh, the hill where they were going to throw Jesus off the cliff. And if you climb up to the top of that hill, you can see across the way, I think it's Mount Tabor. And at the base of the Mount Tabor uh, is the uh, city of Nain. And I might have the mountain names mixed up here. So it's not a big city, but uh, if you want to picture it in your mind, you just have to think of the movie The Godfather Part Two, the opening scene where the older brother of Vito Corleone is being buried after being killed by the mob and you see the uh, people all lined up and walking across the uh, valley carrying uh, the coffin up on their shoulders uh, that's the exact same picture that we have happening here
0: okay And that is a good that is a good word picture uh pastor it looks it looks like we are um interrupting or we are we are getting a view here in Luke 7 11 17 we are right smack dab in the middle of a funeral is that correct we
1: are and this is part of the uh the uh, funeral rite of the time, Uh, bodies would be buried uh, right away after death. They were required to be buried outside of the town gates uh, for the sake of purity of the people living in there. You can't come into contact with dead bodies on a regular basis. The way that the funerals worked back in ancient Israel was they would dig a uh, tomb into the rock somewhere and uh, the tomb, if you were to go in, it would have a small door. You walk in and inside there'd be a Room, with benches on every corner. Or every wall of the room, and uh, then in the wall above the benches, there would be niches that were carved out into the uh, uh, the walls above the the benches. And uh, the way you did it was uh, the day the person died, you would carry them out uh, to the tomb. You would lay the body on one of the benches, and you would roll a, a rock or close the door so that uh, that person was in there. And they'd stay in there for an entire year. And on the anniversary of the death of the person, the family would go in. They would pick up the bones, the flesh having rotted away, and they would put the bones into what's called an ossuary, which is a little box. Uh, the uh, The longest side of this box is the uh, length from your knee to your hip, and the uh, width of the box is the width of your skull plus the the dimensions of the stone on the outside of that and they would put all the bones into this ossuary uh, sweep up whatever else is there and put it into the ossuary and then that ossuary would go into one of the niches above the bench uh, and a family would have a tomb for their family and they would just keep on burying people in there if you had more than one death at a time uh, that's why you had benches on all the walls you could put up to probably three bodies in the typical tomb uh, and you kept all your family members there in one place then and that way
0: and unlike today where maybe maybe once a year you go to the gravesite of a loved one and put a flower or two out uh, on memorial day or some other significant day in the family death is a very real part of the people's existence uh, this is a hands-on process we're not we're not uh, writing out a big check to the funeral home we're not uh Keeping uh, our hands away from the duty of lowering the grave into the body—you know, paying somebody else to do that. This, this is a family activity that people would have been catechized on what to do and where to do it from little on. This is a, this is like a, a family field trip or a family project. Am I, am I reading this correctly, Pastor?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely was more a part of their life back then and less sanitized. There was not funeral homes or funeral directors at that time. Everybody took care of their own dead and did it in this way. Uh, and and you knew that's the way that you did it and you dealt with it. And I think in some ways it's probably better in that regard because death is a much more real thing, whereas... Um, We have the separation from those who died, and we miss them, but we don't actually take care of the bodies anymore like we used to. We don't actually dig the hole for our own family members like we used to. We don't cover it up like we used to. We don't uh, carve their name into the uh, wooden cross and put it on top of there. And so we're kind of separated from it uh, because it hurts and is painful, and yet I think there is a... Reality that comes about uh, within our own minds if we're actually the people doing these sorts of things. You know, as a pastor who, in, um, boy, I've been a pastor for nine years. In the nine years, I've buried 60 some people. And so you get used to it and you see it and it becomes a part of what your life is when you're dealing with death. And yet, we kind of separate ourselves from that as a society and keep it at arm's length. And that's. maybe weakens the
0: reality of what it is yeah i think i think you it's a good observation there uh you watch movies on tv and and uh when people die many times it's the family members that will have to get out the the wash bowl and basin and clean the body and dress the body and uh, show respect to the body occasionally i'll have somebody that will ask me even today, you know, what age is appropriate for for someone to attend a funeral because, you know, we want to shield our children from the reality of death. Well, folks, you can't shield your children from the reality of death. Even your pet goldfish will jump out of the bowl and die on the floor. And so... Um, but, I mean, even with that, they, they shield them, you know, well... Goldie went to the uh, big
1: aquarium uh, farm where he gets to sleep all day and relax. You know, uh, you,
0: you know. That's if you find Goldie quickly enough before he starts to stink.
1: Right, right. <laughs> but people do that, right? Because yes. we don't say people died anymore. I heard uh, uh, Pastor Kirk and uh, on the classroom one talking about this the other day. We call it passing away instead of death Uh, we uh, we say they've gone to meet their maker we don't uh, we we, uh, maybe this is too tangential but we also mummify all the bodies basically anymore so that they don't decompose and rot Um, we get their hair done we put them in their nicest suit make them look as nice as we can uh, and all these things soften the blow and We might think we need that, but it also then softens the reality. When you look at a body of a loved one who's dead and dying uh, or, or, you know, starting to decompose and rot, um, that reality is your reality at some point in the future. Back to the psalm, right? It's coming for you. And if we soften that as much as we can, then that reality of this is coming for you also is softened.
0: Yes, and, and uh, you know we have two extremes. One extreme is we, we take the body and we put all the makeup on and the fancy clothes and we make it look as if the person isn't really dead. Or if we think the body is too bad off to do that, we hide the body, or we cremate the body, so we don't really have to look at death. And uh, folks, this is uh, these are these are difficult decisions to make as families. These are difficult topics to uh, to talk about, but the reality of death is there for all people God's Word is clear the wages of sin is death but that's not the end of that passage the free gift of God is life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord death is never the last word for a Christian our God is God of life and we are gonna see this very very clearly in this text now in the time that we have left in this segment before we get to the miracle A considerable crowd was with her. Tell me, why was the crowd with her, and what can we learn from that today, Pastor?
1: Well, there's two possibilities here that the text doesn't necessarily lay clear who the crowd is But um, first off, the neighbors and friends and, and uh, family members, just like in our funerals, are there to mourn with this woman the loss of her son. There's also a practice in uh, ancient Israel where um, to encourage the perception of your neighbors and things about the uh, the value of this person or your family's importance, oftentimes um, mourners were hired to come and mourn uh the the person who had passed away and this gets done ad surbi- ad absurdium with like king herod and people where uh king herod even wanted he hired people to mourn when he died and he also wanted other people killed so that people were crying when he was dead um that's the absurd version of this but this is a reality in the ancient world we see it even with Lazarus when he dies uh, hired mourners uh, whose job is to be there and weep and cry to emphasize the hurt and pain that
0: comes about from death so we have uh the possibility that the whole community is shook up over this uh, because this widow is left alone or that the widow is very wealthy and has the means to pay all these people to come and uh, it seems the that with Jesus having compassion on her, she probably wasn't all that wealthy. That's what we probably would guess. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Okay. All right. We need to We need to take a break. We're a little bit over in this segment. We'll make it up on the next one. Uh, this is Proclaiming the One, 16th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. You are
2: listening to KN. P ninety five point seven FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: This is the day death has lost its sting. You would think we were talking about Easter, and we are looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity, Pastor. Um, Are we going to have an Easter celebration in October?
1: Well, in a way, yes, because we are going to see what Jesus does uh, for this young man in a minute. Uh, In a way, no, uh, because... Um, the real Easter celebration, um, at least as it applies to us, is going to be even better than it is for this young man as he is raised by Christ in just a few minutes. We'll talk about that. Because um, the reality is that this man that Jesus raised lived the rest of his life, and who knows how many more days that was, and then he died and was buried. He was put in the tomb, and he's not alive right now. Um, the Easter greatness, as it's going to be played out for this man in our text, and for me, and for you, and for all the people listening to the radio, is that on the last day of this world, Christ is going to return, and he's going to raise the dead, and he's going to raise them to life eternal, where death no longer has dominion, where death no longer occurs, where sickness, suffering, weakness no longer happen, and uh, this man, and us, and all of those who believe in Jesus Christ will be given perfect holy eternal life and that's the
0: true Easter miracle that this is looking forward to uh, as well and in a respect you know we're we're going to have kind of an Easter focus because of the nature of what's going on in our right. gospel reading Luke 7 11 17 but maybe this highlights to us that we're not being enough Easter focused on every Sunday that we gather for service, because it seems to me that I heard somewhere along the line, Pastor, that Christians worship on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. In fact, every. Sunday service in a
1: respect is a little Easter, uh, with the great big Easter uh, that comes in the spring, and the even bigger and better Easter that is coming on the last day, uh, which is foreshadowed for us in uh, you know Matthew's gospel when the dead rise from the graves at the time that Christ dies on the cross, and they go into the holy city. Um, That's what's going to happen. That's where Christ is coming, not just to uh, touch dead bodies and get them alive for a few more decades, but to call every single person from wherever their mortal remains lie back to life to live forever. Uh, Those who have faith will live forever in God's kingdom. Those without faith will suffer forever apart from God and his good gifts. And that's what's coming. And that's, that's a great
0: message for us. And that's really what we ought to always be talking about. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so back to our text, Luke 7, 11 to 17. We looked at the first two verses in our previous segment. We talked about the city of Nain. Uh, Jesus is there with his disciples, a great crowd with him. So this is not some secretive little event that's happening Uh, they show up at the town and there's a funeral going on it's a very tragic sad funeral this uh, uh, woman has lost her only son Uh, she's a widow so she's left she's left alone she's left to the uh, wiles of the world the whole town is rocked Uh, they're out there uh, with her in this funeral procession and then in verse 13 and when the Lord saw her he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now, this brings immediately to mind the first verse of our introit, where we prayed and sang, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Our tears go up to God for a variety of reasons, uh, the consequences of sin. But I don't think I've ever heard more uh, intense weeping and wailing than at a death at a funeral at the graveside and you can just you can feel the pain of those who are affected by death and jesus has compassion and he says do not weep so first of all a little bit on that word pastor compassion
1: well uh the word in the The Greek is splagna, which uh, is onomatopoeia, means it sounds like what its original source is. And it had to do with a uh, priest of some kind uh, in the Greek culture to tell the future cutting the guts out of an animal, picking them up and throwing them at the ground. And then he would look and see what sort of things, you know, could he see the kidneys? What shape were they in? What way were the intestines forming? And supposedly by looking at these guts thrown to the ground, making that splach noise, uh, he was able to tell the future. Well, this got people's emotions really involved in this whole process, right? Like, what's the guts going to tell me? What are the guts going to tell me? And so over time, as the language evolved, it came to mean uh, having a great emotional uh, welling up within oneself, you know, Uh, your guts are telling you something or another. Uh, And so this became compassion then. I really, from deep within my guts, feel bad for what's going on. That's that word splagna. Uh, So Jesus has compassion from deep in the guts, we would say, and he says, do not weep. Remember that one who's talking is the word made flesh, the same God who created all the world just by speaking words and saying, let there be light, let there be trees, let there be a separation between the waters above and below and all of this. Uh, And so when Jesus says do not weep, it's not a command like um, the well-meaning but uh, harmful people who tell people mourning, you know, don't cry. Uh, When Jesus says don't weep, it's speaking a reality into existence. And so don't cry, uh, don't weep here is a promise that uh, I'm going to take care of things so that you have no need of weeping. Uh, He's calling faith into existence through his word uh, uh, in that in that phrase.
0: And that is, that is a very important point to make, Pastor, because so many times people will look at this text and will say, oh, Jesus doesn't want people to grieve. Jesus doesn't want people to feel emotion at the point of death. Uh, Jesus knows emotion. At the death of Lazarus, Jesus wept. What he is saying here, and your words are spot on, spot on, spot on. The words have power. Jesus is taking away the reason for weeping, and that is the gospel promise that we're going to see envisioned here in just a moment. Yeah,
1: even just saying do not weep to someone at a funeral today is denying their humanity which humanity by its nature wishes to live forever because that's the way God created it it's only our fallen nature of sin that causes death and it hurts and it's bad and it's not good that we die and and so the weeping is the natural human response so if you just tell someone don't weep you're denying their humanity in that way
0: and that's not what Jesus is doing that's not what Jesus is doing okay so he comes up and he touches the buyer the beast. I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, I say buyer because uh, Jim Morrison in uh, Come On Baby, Light My Fire talks about the funeral buyer. So uh, there you go. Uh, there's, your, there's your 60s trivia, song trivia coming out of Poppy again. Uh, he comes up and touches the funeral buyer, and uh, the bearer stood still. Uh, they're shocked because Jesus has now become ritually unclean. Am, am I right?
1: Yeah, according to the uh, ancient Jewish customs, um, coming into contact with a dead body uh, did have particular rules and um it does make you ritually unclean for a period of time uh, and, and therefore also need to go to the uh, temple to have that ritual uncleanliness taken care of. Um, and so it is not normal for a stranger to come up and to come into contact with a dead body um, because a stranger wouldn't make themselves ritually unclean for the sake of someone else in such a way because of all the strings attached that would uh, be required. So this tells us a little bit about who Jesus is and what he's doing because he's taking all the uncleanness into himself to take it to the cross and kill it for good. And so Christ has no problem touching this uh, funeral buyer or beer. Um, We always said beer because um, that's just the way I was always taught. (laughs) So, um, Anyways, uh, Jesus has no problem touching that, taking that uncleanness into himself for the sake of
0: destroying death and bringing about eternal life and the, uh, Holiness, cleanliness rules that we see specifically in the Old Testament, uh, specifically, specifically in the book of Leviticus, are all pointing forward to the one who is holy, who will take away our uncleanness, and that's what Jesus does. Now Jesus does something really crazy. Uh, You know, you think it's crazy to talk to the animals or talk to the plants or talk to your rocks? Uh, Jesus talks to the dead person. Young man, I say to you, arise. Notice he does not say, invite me into your heart. Uh, he does not say, oh, say the printer's pr- sinner's prayer or uh, dedicate your life to me. The guy is dead, stone cold, dead. And Jesus speaks to the dead person and says, young man, I say to you, arise. What happened next, Pastor?
1: Well, as soon as Jesus speaks his word, uh, just like before, uh, his word does things. It accomplishes whatever it says. Uh, and so when Jesus says, arise, the man does exactly what Jesus says. He has no choice but to get up. And I think this is the beautiful thing that we can look forward to in our own um, resurrections is that jesus will stand at the foot of our graves and i guess we don't know if he'll stand exactly at the foot of our graves you'll just do them all at once from uh uh the uh, clouds as he descends from heaven with the trumpet call but the dead will be raised at the word of jesus just like here only on the last day it'll be that much better because
0: death will be destroyed forever wake up oh sleepyhead um you know I had uh, somebody tell me years ago in uh, talking about this text, you know, why did Jesus say, young man, I say to you, arise? Why didn't he just say, arise? And I looked at them kind of puzzling, and they looked at me and said, well, if Jesus would have just said, arise, every dead body in the whole world would have come back to life at that point in time, and he's saving that big miracle for the last day. That is how powerful the word of God is. And we discount that all too much. Uh, the dead man sat up. He began to speak. I mean, he's, he's, he's not uh, in a trance or anything like that. He's alive. He's well. He's healthy. Jesus gives him back to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, God has visited his people. In the time that we have, Pastor, a great prophet, God has visited his people. How is this a marvelous confession of faith?
1: Well, they're acknowledging the reality of what's happened. And the only way that this can happen is if God's doing something. And so they say it's a great prophet, just like Elijah, which uh, our Old Testament lesson lays out what Elijah did there in bringing back someone from the dead. Uh, And then also God has visited his people because even Elijah wasn't able to raise people on his own authority, but only on the authority of God. And so uh, Jesus is the one who has that authority within himself because he is God in the flesh. And I think it's beautiful that these people don't quite understand everything yet because they haven't had that word preached into their ears yet. This miracle, I mean, if somebody rose from the dead... We would all be amazed and confused and not all this, and it's only when the preaching of the word comes further that people are understanding that, and Jesus will do that in the time of the church.
0: He is our great prophet, and he has visited us, God in the flesh. That's why we come to church on Sunday morning, to hear his word and to receive his gifts. Every Sunday is a little Easter for the Christian. Rejoice in saying, death has lost its sting. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints, and we are privileged to do so at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come check us out anytime you want. We are at 3825 Wildbriar Lane, just north of 40th and Old Cheney in South Lincoln. We gather for worship every Sunday at 8 and 1030, with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also gather every Wednesday evening at 630, 630. When we have church, our services are live over 95.7 KNNALP. You can check us out on the website if you're outside of our listening area or on your handheld device, www.thecross957.org. Check out all of our community and theological programming, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Pastor, in our uh, first segment, we looked at the introit, uh, selected verses from Psalm 86. In segments 2 and 3, we uh, looked in great detail at the miracle of Jesus by the power of his word, raising from the dead back to life the son of the widow of Nain, Luke 7, 11 to 17. And in our final segment now, we want to look at the epistle reading from Ephesians 3 and see how this connects or is a practical application of everything that we've heard so far. Pastor, Ephesians 3
1: and in Christ Jesus through all generations
0: forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Those uh, last two verses there, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, have kind of a benediction flavor to them and uh, really really a summary statement of the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. There, there are so many little tangents Uh, i I hesitate to say rabbit holes because that makes it sound like they're not important but there are so many little tangents uh, and this happens often in uh, the epistles of saint paul because he packs so much under the inspiration of the holy spirit of course he packs so much into a short little compact uh, section of scripture i ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Now it would seem that losing heart over suffering is uh, the connection, the practical application of what we've talked about so far today. Uh, am I am I reading that right, Pastor? Or is there something more?
1: Well, and I think this is a reality that everybody faces when they are suffering. Um, you know, where are you, God? Are you really with me? Uh, Why am I suffering if this is going, if you really are? What kind of a God will let me suffer? And I think the, uh, theological phrase for this is theodicy. Um, Why does God let his people suffer? Why does God let people keep dying if he is going to raise us all from the dead? If Jesus really rose from the dead, uh, why is there still war? Why is there still disease? All these sorts of things. And Paul is saying, don't lose heart because of these things. Uh, Because in all these things, uh, God is revealing his glory. What's his glory then? Uh, So you might suffer. You might get... uh, a leprosy you might get your legs run over by a crazy motorcyclist uh, you might have your arms pulled out uh, you know by an orangutan that escapes from the zoo and so there you are just stumps on your legs and on your arms with leprosy suffering and struggling why am I here and the glory of God is is that he's going to put you back together on the last day and raise you to live perfectly and completely even better than you are right now uh, through his Son Jesus Christ so no gray hairs no bald head, no stumpy legs or arms, and no leprosy, um, no wrinkles, no sin.
0: I have uh, every Clint Eastwood uh, orangutan movie floating in my head right yes. now. <laughs> Thanks. It'll take me days to get that out of there. Uh, Pastor, there's, uh, there's kind of one of these, these little tangents here in verse 15 where it talks about, it's in verse 14, it says, I, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Um, that, that sounds pretty significant there, that every family in the whole world is named or comes from, God the Father. Uh, Your thoughts on that passage?
1: Well, it shouldn't surprise us if we know Scripture, and and Paul knew his Scripture, which is why he says this. All of us are descended from Adam and Eve uh, at first, and then also through Noah and Mrs. Noah and uh, Shem and Mrs. Shem and Japheth and Mrs. Japheth and Ham and Mrs. Ham. um, And we're all descended from these people, uh, and yet we're spread out over all the world. And we have grown into different cultures and different uh, uh, families. And we even have different people that are uh, related to us uh, more closely than others. So God knows all this, and he keeps track of every person that's ever been born and every family, and he desires them all to be saved because he's made the promise to Adam and Eve, from whom all are descended, and again to Noah, from whom all are descended. He wants all people to be saved. He keeps track of this, and um, that's his ultimate goal is that he would desire all men to be saved. So... It's not a surprising thing that God keeps track of all these families. And really, the world's not as big as you think. Uh, you know, if you go back in your family tree, you know why Ancestry.com and all those places make so much money. You go back 25 generations and you have more ancestors. If you go back two for each, you know, parent, mom and dad, you have more ancestors and you go back so far than there are people that have ever lived in any time and any place combined. And so... All of us are on the same
0: boat. All of us are family, the family of God. That is uh, that is amazing to think about, Pastor. And uh, it is also a great comfort to know that we have a Father who is our creator and that uh, all people throughout the world uh, come from the same origin. This is not accident. This is not some freak of nature. It is God at work. Now, I'm going to make you really nervous here, Pastor, Um because uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul here says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Lutherans don't talk much about Jesus living in our hearts. What is Paul Emphasizing and teaching here by talking about the Holy Spirit in our inner being and Jesus living in our hearts. Well, um, in the way that Paul
1: is writing this, um, inner being is kind of interesting way of saying this. He says, "Strengthen through the Spirit, uh, through His Spirit, into your within man." Uh, where,
0: where your guts are at?
1: Well, I mean, we have that same idea. I'm just trying to make a
0: connection here with the gospel
1: he's, reading. He's, he's not talking about this is not a spiritual thing. Uh, he's not spiritualizing it like there's some ghost that's living in your soul or something. Mm-hmm. He's talking about that every fiber of your being, your inner man, might have the strength that comes through the Holy Spirit in faith so that your entire person... Uh, not just your outward appearance might actually be Christian. And so that's what he's saying here. He's not spiritualizing it. And, and in the Greek, it's much more clear. The word is esoanthropon, uh, which means the within man. And, and it's not just this, the way that it's often talked about, like, um, uh, how, how do I say? I don't listen to enough praise songs to know how they talk about it now, but uh, it, it's not
0: some spiritualizing of God. It's some, an some actual overly f- emotional kind yes, of thing. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, and and again, Lutherans, Christians in general, don't have to be afraid of this Jesus in my heart talk if it is grounded in the word of God and the word of God forms and shapes us. I'd love to spend more time on that, but we got too much stuff here. Um and he goes on to say uh, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Um, Pastor, I want to say in light of our other readings for today, I want to say that the application of this particular text, Ephesians three thirteen to 21, knowledge, human knowledge that we have is that when people die, they stay dead. The love of Christ surpasses the knowledge that dead things stay dead and that God is teaching us here that he is more powerful than our knowledge and he overcomes sin, death, and the grave. Am I stretching God's word or am I making an application that is faithful?
1: No, you're, you're saying the truth. I think the old saying, and I can't remember if it's from Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, but uh, only two things are certain in this life, death and taxes. What Jesus would say is the only thing that's certain in this life is taxes because even death he's going to undo and eliminate. And so you might think you know that all men are going to die, but what you might not always know is that Christ is going to raise them and God's going to undo death.
0: The uh, The good news for... Christians, death does not win. Death does not win. Christ has won the victory for us. And all who cling by grace through faith to this victory that Christ has over sin, death, and the grave have this ultimate victory to look forward to. We lose heart. Uh, The trials and tribulations of this world cause us to weep. We, We forget. And the last two verses here... Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Pastor, what does this teach us about our prayer life, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think? What does this teach us about the nature of God?
1: Well, God is so amazing beyond all understanding that... Uh, we can't even put into words or comprehend his reality. And we really, this is the truth, right? And so I think when Paul says this too, it's, uh, we probably don't ask enough of God. And what I mean, enough of the right things, right? We probably ask him too much of the things that aren't important, like winning the lottery or uh, maybe uh, even- The Husker game The Husker up. games, right? Uh we don't ask him enough of what's really important. Save me, have mercy on me, forgive me, uh, love me. The things God promises to do, he can do them even when we can't comprehend how. Even if we've done something so terrible that we think we can't be forgiven, then we're limiting who God is. He is so good that um, there's
0: nothing that's beyond his ability or his power. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, sadly, we got to bring this program to a close. We have been looking at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Trinity. And uh, when you get up Sunday morning, encourage you to drink your coffee, read your paper, whatever your morning routine is, pray for your pastor, and go to church. May God richly bless you in Christ Jesus. We'll see you again next week.